Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the proprietor and director of winemaking at Villa Creek and Maha Estate Wines, Chris Cherry. Chris and his wife, Joanne, moved to Paso Robles in 1996 to open their farm-to-table restaurant called Villa Creek. Inspired by the blossoming Paso wine scene, the Cherries decided to try their hands at winemaking, and they released their first vintage in 2001 under the Villa Creek name. In 2003, they purchased 60 acres of land on the west side of Paso Robles, and Maha Estate was born. Uh, The Cherries practiced sustainable and biodynamic practices, and in 2015 earned their Demeter biodynamic certification. And Cherry's wines have been described as bodybuilders who can ballroom dance. Welcome, oh, Chris. I like that one. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> it's amazing what you can find on the interwebs. <laughs> um, tell everybody what we're drinking this afternoon. Well, you know, when were you in town last? Um, I was in town July? last. No, that was um, November. November. Yeah, we were up at uh, Hawk Kids, Hill. Kids right. Place. So we were we were discussing your love of Grenache. Yep. And we mentioned a few folks. So yep. this is uh, a I Grenache-based know. wine yes. from Louis Barule at Saint Combe. I know. Uh, 2013. Getting I think, jiggy Bell. with it. Mm. Yeah. And he's a he's a, a good buddy and an amazing farmer, a great winemaker. Um, I'm proud to call him a friend. We spent some time with him about a month or so ago at his place, and he's. He's really a force. I love that. I love. I love that. Um, and I don't know if that came out of Hospice Daron, how you met him, or just on you your did. own. But I love the community, like between um, people who the Roan producers in the states and the people who produce Roan. Like, there's so many different connections. I know people like like Jeff Cohn does stuff with Eves. You know, I mean, right. there's just uh, you know Philippe was doing stuff with, with Phil Katuri. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just have that all over. You know, the Gossiers are doing things up in Washington with people. Yeah. And then people, and you know, Todd Alexander, who I just saw in New York, um, bought a property down there, and he's good friends with Anne Charlotte. Everybody loves Anne Charlotte. Right. She yeah. actually has a husband. We met him. I- <laughs> yeah. He's a real man. I mean, you can't believe anything you see on Facebook, so I didn't know, but like, she's always on the road. She's always on the road, and he is, he is uh, a super, he's very much like her, super kind, yeah. thoughtful. Uh, we had dinner at their house after like this banger lunch at Julian Burroughs place at Baroche um, and it, it was lots of fun but uh, the the I think the the Rhone community has got a closeness I think unlike any of the other kind of global regions whether it's Burgundy and Pinot yeah. in the US yeah. or Napa and Bordeaux and I, I don't know why that is I mean I'm I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the critic here whatever I don't know people call her or they're just the guy who talks shit but I think, like, when you think about that, when you set up what went into my mind was, like, um, with Napa and Bordeaux, it seems to be more commercial, right? Because 
I, I think when I think of wines, when I think of France, I think the Rhone is like the redheaded stepchild of French wines. I mean, you have you have now it's Burgundy, and you have Burgundy, and you have Bordeaux, and then you have the Rhone, where I think just it, the Rhone still seems to be it's not as commercialized. It's still more that peasant farmer thing that that French wine was known for. Yeah. In my in my opinion, you know, I was talking to a guy. I'm working at a retail store, Rebecca Wine Merchants, for a couple of hours, and he was saying how there's I won't name names, but I won't, I won't name anything, but like you can go to certain domains now in Burgundy, the younger guys, and they have a Rolex on, and they're like, they're like, they're like have designer clothes, they yeah. look like LMVH, but then you go to like a domain, Dury Gentil, and he's a farmer, he's got dirt on his nails, yeah, um, and he's still kind of like that old Burgundy, like peasant farmer, like, I don't know. True Vigneron. Yeah, yeah, Vigneron. I don't know how, uh, uh, what to do because of the inheritance tax. You know, and I don't, I don't want to sell a large multi-conglomerate. You know, and I, and when they come to hospice, was my first time, but everybody just knew everybody and seemed to love each other. You know, um, it wasn't any flexing. It was just like, hey, good to, good to be here, old friend. It, it's uh, that organization over the last twenty plus years has we've met so many wonderful people, um, and and it's a it's a great community. Yeah. And we're always ex- exchanging information, sending folks back and forth. Um, Michelle and Tina's daughter, Jenna, interned with us of 2011 or 12. Um, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, speaking of fun stuff, Chris, um, like, I like to start at the beginning, man. So uh, where are you from? I, I grew up in Vail, Colorado, but I'm a native Californian. Okay. So I did 10 to 20 in Vail. Okay, so you graduated from high school in Vail. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, paradise and prison sentence all in one. <laughs> what, what, I've never heard that one before. What, what, is, what does that mean? It was, you, know, <laughs> you know, we could grow, we, after school we could go fishing, we could go shoot stuff, mm-hmm. we could just, we could go hiking, but it was also like Monday morning, you know, so-and-so's mom gets a call from so-and-so's mom and we're like, how, how did they find out what we were doing? Oh my God. You know, small town. 5,000 people in the whole like South Park the whole valley yeah. when when we were kids oh my god so you were like in Vail I mean it was always a ski community but like now Vail is like Vail right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean like it's like, yeah mm-hmm. so it was it was like small town I mean it was uh, wide open it was Vail in the 80s mm-hmm. I mean it wasn't Aspen but it was it was the 80s mm-hmm. it was it was it was great mm-hmm. So where'd you live prior to, you said native California, where'd you grow up? Where'd you live until the age of 10? In Newport Beach. Okay, so you're OC kid, so you, what did your parents do? My dad uh, was, uh, he was in sales, he sold cars, and then um, he, when we moved to Vail, he was selling uh, commercial carpet cleaning and steam cleaners. <laughs> dad was a, he was a pure salesman. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he grew up in San Francisco in the hate, in the depression. Oh, wow. Um, Signed with the Yankees with Billy Martin and Jerry Coleman. Really? Out of high school. Played ball under Casey Stengel for a period of time. Then um, enlisted in the Marine Corps, was a naval aviator, flew Corsairs, uh, which really kind of took away from the... He, he would have replaced a guy, outfielder, played for the Yankees. What's his name? Mantle. But, <laughs> um, that, that, that didn't happen. So, so he fought in World War Two. He did. He fought, fought, flew Corsairs in World War Two and Saber Jets in Korea. 
You know what's crazy? I know another person who's in wine, and her father actually flew missions in World War II and ended up creating the top the Top Gun program. He ended up creating it. He was nineteen. So did your father? Did your father have flight log, flight logs? Uh, not that I've ever seen, but he flew his like fiftieth mission on his twenty first birthday. Yeah. I mean that's such a crazy. Her, da- her dad was nineteen, and, and she she has his flight logs. It's crazy, like, and it's like, it's like six Japanese planes tried to kill me today. Like, like, like this is not so shit. Insane. Insane. Like, and you see his movie, and like, also like they would, and her father was from the Midwest, so he grew up. He was like eight years old, flying a crop duster, you know, crazy shit. Like yeah. you, people used to do. And so, like, they, they sent this guy on a mission. He didn't have enough gas to get back, but he knew how to manipulate the winds and all this stuff. I think that's... And also had Adam Harold Lee, whose father was in World War II. So I, I, I find it interesting when people... I think with wine, wine has so much history, but then also when you can pull in that U.S. history. So then your dad comes back and he could just sell shit, right? Yeah. He sells cars. Yeah. He sells that, yeah. You know, it's funny. He said he, he, he wanted to get into banking and... You know, he's interviewing with the banker, and the banker's all puffed up. And right. like, he's like, you know, so I see you didn't go to college, and you know, what makes you think that you're cut for banking? And he's like, well, I, I like money. <laughs> um, and he didn't get the job, and he got into car sales. And you know, it wasn't long that he was doing so much car business, he kind of ate that banker's lunch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Newport Beach was crowded in the mid-70s, so my parents uh, decided to, to move to Vail, Colorado. They, they, along with another friend of ours, bought an old dive bar okay. outside of Vail mm-hmm. called The Office, right? <laughs> yeah. Honey, I'm at The Office, yeah. so I yeah. won't be home till yeah. late. Yeah. Uh, and turned it into, uh, it was called The Saloon across the street from the Eagle River Hotel, or just The Saloon mm-hmm. in Minturn. And um, it became one of those spots where you know, all the locals were there, and much like restaurants here, if you hook the locals and you hook the industry, like, where are you going for dinner? Oh, we're going to LPC or In Bloom or <clears throat> BL Brasserie for lunch. Yeah. It's like, well, you can go to Sweet Basil or Lancelot, but we all go down to the saloon and hang out with Bob Cherry and drink margaritas. Yeah. So, is that, um, so did you work in the bar? Did you hang out in the bar? Did you kind of grow up around it? I or? grew up in a bar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now people would go, ah, now I get it. Yeah, no, because I was like, okay, we'll we'll get to the hospitality, but like, ah, okay, now I get, like, you know. So you do that, and you mentioned, uh, and your mom, did she work at all? Because this is 70s, was she still kind of just a stay-at-home mom? She was pretty much a stay-at-home mom. She she did the books at the restaurant and whatnot. She was a a big horse person, so. Okay, so you had some horses. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, So... You're growing up in Valley City. You were there until you're 20. Did you go leave to go to college? Or? Yeah, went went to school and you know sick of the snow, sick yeah. of the snow, um, and went to school in San Diego and met Joanne, my wife, like orientation first week. San Diego State or University, uh, University of San Diego. Yeah, and then dated for a few weeks, went our separate ways for seven years, and then kind of re- reconnected seven years later and during kind of the wedding circuit and. Had a couple kids and said, "Let's let's move to Paso." That's interesting. Um, well, there's a lot to unpack there, but similar story. My wife, my, I met my wife in college, and we dated. And she'll tell you, we dated uh, for like six weeks, but we didn't. Re- this was in the 1991. We didn't reconnect till like 2010 on Facebook. And then 
we got married six years later. So, uh, pretty cool. I love I love a good ro- ro- romance story. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but so you meet. So you're down at San Diego. Um, you're sick of the snow. You're you're back in California, and and. I mean, leaving at ten, you you knew enough about weather, and you could kind of remember the lifestyle of surfing and all that stuff. So. Yeah, a little bit. I was I was more of a body surfer. We'd lived, you know, going to school in San Diego, lived down Mission Beach, and that was kind of a yeah. a pretty walled out break and a fairly aggressive group. It's a hard place to learn how to surf, but I, was, I got in the water a fair amount. So, what did you major in when you were down there? Social skills. Social skill. Uh, I love that. No, Chris, I love that. Cause people, <laughs> business administration, okay. which I, I should have paid more attention to. Well, we'll get to how you, I mean, apparently you're, you're in past roles now, you're making some wine, so yeah. it's it, it, at least marginally working out for you. I can't. It's not too bad. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, you're down there. It's great. Uh, what do you do after you graduate? Well, um, and go on the wedding circuit and reconnect with Joanne. Started um, started attending bar when I was 21. Okay. My parents got tired of the snow, moved out to California, kind of followed me, bought okay. a restaurant in North San Diego County. I started attending bar when I was 21. And then, um, you know, spring, sophomore year, maybe junior year, all my buddies are in wool suits getting ready to hop in the hamster wheel of the corporate America and mm. I was just like mm, nah so decided to jump into the to family biz okay and you know started to learn the whole operations component of the restaurant and worked the floor uh, worked on menu development stuff like that what do you what was the um, what do you think <clears throat> we're not there yet but kind of projecting out what do you think was some of the biggest lessons you learned um, while uh, in particularly that side of hospitality so young out of school that are serving you now? Well, I think, you know, all of the, you know, everybody speaks of the 10,000 hours, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's just all experience and exposure and, and, and learning how to navigate difficult customers or great customers. Um, so it, that's that's one thing that's good. I think I'm fairly gregarious by nature so it's it's always it was always fun um you know everything can be a slog at, at mm. one point or another but it uh is great you know you, and you meet so many wonderful people and you have the opportunity to reciprocate hospitality whether it's you know in a hotel somewhere around the world or at their restaurant they come to your restaurant um it, it's really a, a great group of people um Bobby Stuckey, I think on his website for, for Tabernetta or Frasca, it's like, you know, a thing about the hospitalian. And I love, I love that, the hospitalian. I mean, there's some great people mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby's one of them. He cultivates an amazing team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you find those people, uh, it really can be a special, special thing. Mm-hmm. I, Not everybody's hospitable. No, I, listen, Chris, I... I, I have shared that when I say people say that you know the you know uh, wine business needs this more diversity. I'm like, it has to be a fit though. People have to understand what they're getting into. It's just you can't just I studied and had this knowledge, so give me a job. It's not about that. You have to be willing. You have to want to take care of people. You have to really want to take care of people. Yeah. It, it's not about I know this knowledge and and so I can do this job. Yes. 
from that level, but that's not what this is about. And I'm like, so happy you said Bobby, because Bobby, I love Bobby's Instagram post, and I had Bobby as a guest. I don't know if you listen to the episode, it's one of my favorite. He's so humble. Bobby is the reason why the, a lot a of beast. us are still alive. I mean, as many went down, there's yeah. even more if right. Bobby didn't jump in and just be the leader that he is naturally. Yeah. But he, he'll, put, he'll put on Instagram, he's like, I was happy to bust tables tonight. And runs a restaurant group. Yeah, he's happy to bust tables. Yeah, he crushes that. Yeah, we uh, we did a dinner at Frasca. It's probably been ten or fifteen years ago. So sit down pre-service shift meeting, and he rolls out the night, and I was like, holy shit, this guy's an assassin. Okay, we've got the cherries coming in. They're going to sit on table six. Uh, Mark him with a burgundy glass. He likes sparkling water, only in a wine glass, blah, blah, blah. His wife, she's all vegetarian, blah, blah, I mean, and just roll through it. And then you're going to have this and have that. Uh, make sure when the Smiths come in that you seat him facing the wall so he doesn't have to talk to anybody. And it was just like, wow. And I'm pretty good at it, but I was just like, wow. Yeah, when you see someone who's a beast, yeah, you're like... And you know he's he comes from that pre-open table era mm-hmm. before you could pull up. Oh, like you oh. had to make mental notes. You had to make mental notes. It's like that that the the maitre d at the Four Seasons, you know, who's been on the door for forty years. That's a New York personality, mm-hmm. if not the owner. Yeah, and all the people and all the the kids and. You know, the wife, the mistress, whatever it may be. I mean, those situations people don't get. Like, that's hospitality. It's not like like those situations where you are anticipating the needs of the guests before. You know what they need, want before they know it. You, you know them so well. Yeah. Because you're paying it. To, and it takes, that takes astute attention to detail, the person, and all the time. Like, doing that with a whole room. Right. So. Um, you you can teach hospitality, but... When someone is inherently hospitable, right. they're really great. Right, I love that. I and love and that. a bir- birds of a feather, you know. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's why Bobby attracts some of the the amazing people that. Yeah, we were talking about that um, that whole Colorado, like you were you were in Colorado, but that whole Vale and Aspen and and that and and that, like that whole little Nell scene, like how Colorado became this 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 uh, incubator. For some of the best hospitalitarians of our time, yeah, you know, like how many people ran through there, you know. And you know, I've I've had the opportunity to meet a few of those folks over the years, whether it's Carlton or Richard. And there's always these stories like, oh yeah, you know, there was a closed box of DRC, and we decided to open it, and there was a bottle missing. It's like, hmm, when did that come in? Like, who who drank that post shift one night? <laughs> Oh my gosh, you just bring it up to, I, I, like, it's so funny how these conversations happen. I remember Bobby, uh, I think Jordan Salcedo wrote an article about Bobby. It was kind of about natural wine, but he's also talking about how Psalms need to kind of stop pushing their agendas and do their job, which is to serve and be hospitable. And he's like, you know, he's like, first of all, you know, you're only getting three bottles of Jamey and you're going to drink two of them. <laughs> like the soft, like, like you're going to the soft getting the three bottles. There's somehow, there's only going to be one bottle left. You know right. what I mean? Like, and, but, and we'll price it accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> I 
I just think it's so funny. Some of the, the things that the inner workings, like I've worked in some restaurants and I loved it, but you know, uh, but like people don't really actually understand like what it takes to do it at that level. So you learn so that you learn that from your family, just like you learned, uh, you, you use so many good adjectives, like the business side. And, and so, um, what was your next thing after working with your family? Did you uh, start growing your own? Did you go work? Did you go? No. Where'd you get? What'd you do? Never. I never went anywhere. Okay. It was you know family biz. Okay. First, first and only. Okay. And then when we, uh, you know, we had Camille, and then Joanne was pregnant with Henry, and we were San Diego was getting a little crowded. We were thinking, where do we want to move? Do we want to? Do we want to go back to Vail? Do we want to go to Ketchum, to Sun Valley? We thought mm. about moving to Mexico, but my family. Uh, my mom's side is of Swiss Italian descent and dairy people and had a ranch over on the coast north of Cayucas. Okay. So there was a plan to always end up here, mm. um, but not to end up here first. And after looking at some of our options, we we made the decision that this area was the, oppor this is where the opportunity was. Okay. What year was this? This was like 94. <clears throat> okay. Wow. Okay. And so my dad, who was... Uh, we were partners at the time at the restaurant, and he was gonna go visit a buddy of his that he grew up with in San Francisco. He stopped here, he kind of took some pictures, looked around, and when we got, when he came back, he's like, yeah, that could be cool. So we started looking, we, we looked in San Luis Obispo at the time, um, it was expensive, and he was like, I'm not doing anything in a college town. I'm like, why? He's like, they don't have any money, and they don't know how to drink. I'm like perfect sense to me that's so funny because I, I would think professors that's where that's where my went my, my. but right. anyway yeah and then south San Luis Obispo AG and Pismo was a little too Orange County yeah yeah and at that time up here it was it, you know it was really still emerging uh, there was nothing because I moved out here in 99 and like Paso still I mean it was there was, it was, it was, it was like for me Paso was like I moved to Santa Barbara yeah. So Paso was like, eh, that's fucking Paso Robles. That's like kind of how it was. So it, like, yeah. the vision you guys had to be in 94, to be like, oh, this is going to be the place, that's kind of insane to me. Well, well, Parker was blowing up uh, Justin Vineyards at the time. Okay. You know, and he, he, he started banging the, you know, the next Napa Valley, blah, blah, blah. Uh, other significant players in the water, uh, the Beckett's with Peachy Canyon, you know, yep. you know, Zinn was was rolling. Yeah, uh, this is before Turley came to town. Well, Turley, yeah, Turley hit like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah. So yeah. not well, Turley must have hit they ninety seven. They came like two thousand because their first, but their but they didn't move here. But the, right. but the 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 brand was launched when Helly Mercury Wines, I think, because I started the nice. It was that was yeah. So that that made Zinn a thing again. Yeah, for wine. Okay, so I got and, it. And Gary Everly, I mean Gary Everly, Everly Syrah. Yeah. You know, sure. and, and, and some of his cabs. So we went and met all these people, and they're like, you know, we would we would love a, a restaurant in town. Yeah. Uh, this is before Laurent opened. Laurent was, uh, he was just wrapping up in Morro Bay. I think he was out at Justin okay. cooking a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and he initially was going to open a restaurant in his house, which is just up off of 12th Street, like 12th and Chestnut. And the city shut him down on that, so... Before before Laurent, there was a place called Boosie's, which is where uh, Pappy McGregor's is right now. And that was Pat, she Pat, and uh, a guy named Matthew. Um, and the food was really good. You could do like 
like mid-rare salmon with mm. wilted spinach and kind of a Thai peanut, but a lighter Thai, Thai basil peanut type mm -hmm. thing. You know, not something gloppy and sweet. And it was fun and, and it was, it was you know, it was real food. Um, and then Laurent opened and then we opened, we started the project in 96. Okay. Moved here in 96, started the project and opened in 98. And that was called Villa Creek? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was taken because uh, Villa Creek Ranch was over on the coast and we were trying to, we were doing a Mexican-ish concept. Okay. It was, it was kind of Alta Cocina, had some Southwest influences to it. We were doing, uh, one thing that really stuck in, at the saloon in Vail, my dad used to hunt a lot in Mexico, so okay. you know he had duck and quail and, okay. and some ribs, so you could do quail and a cheese enchilada, and we started that way. And then things started to evolve once we got into making wine and uh, brought a chef on. Okay, so when so I said we had uh, we had uh, came up here back in 2001 is when you did your first wine okay yeah. so um, obviously we're talking it's in your blood kind of born to do it uh, what were some of the earlier wines that we're here. And this, you know what I love about this? It's got like that sour note going on. A little bit. I'm trying to figure out. It's a little. If it's know, corky. It's. I don't. I don't. I mean, the cork smells great. I don't. I mean, it's not corky. It's. It's got a sour. Well, now she said, I'm like. <laughs> now I'm like. I'm like. Oh, it might be at the back end. Right. Um. Good thing I brought another. Yeah. Um. So, you're in this region. What are you feeling like? Who like you mentioned some people like Everly and Justin, but who was kind of who were kind of what were you kind of like pouring? Um, what were we pouring? So prior to moving up, I I uh, I got the wine bug. I was going to tastings. Um, really started enjoying like Ridge Single Vineyards Inns. Okay. Uh, Geyserville, Lytton, Pagani. Uh, Ducey, and then this has got some tension in it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, and you know I was buying came a special selection before it, the style drastically changed. Right. I mean this is like '94 and some other stuff. So we came up with a with a with a list of things and then jumped into some some local stuff, um, and that was really the emergence okay. of of. Uh, Matt Gerritsen and John Alban changing from the Viognier Guild to Hospice de Rhone. Mm -hmm. um, and that opened a whole new door. You know, we're meeting, you know, we're meeting, we met Eve and mm -hmm. uh, so Gangloff, mm -hmm. Guyard, mm -hmm. Viard, mm -hmm. um, and characters. And, yeah. and over the years, the people that we met and the wines that we were exposed to, like, I went to Australia, then to Spain, then to France, as far as the Rhone varieties. Okay. And the, the light bulb for me with Grenache was uh, was a Chester Osborne Derenberg tasting, and it was the jan. Uh, everybody called it the janitor, but it was a custodian <laughs> Grenache. Okay. And it was just like, what the fuck is this? I have never smelled or tasted anything like this, and you know that's. 
it's a fruit driven Aussie style. This right. is right when the Grateful Palate and Greedy Pirate was starting, and yeah. these wines were coming in that were pretty phenomenal, but definitely in that vein, you yeah. know, that, that Molly Duker. Yep, yep. Um, Those wines were b- 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 big. Yeah, huge fruit. Tons but, of but, but I love those wines because that's when I kind of came with those. I mean, I remember it was like a 1996 Clarendon Hills Blue at Springs or Nash. I was like, what the hell yeah. is this? Yeah, this whole this whole other thing. Yeah, and and Australia's got a great thing going on now. There's a lot of great new young energy. Exactly. But um, so then it was I'm meeting people, I'm meeting importers. Well, hey, let's do a dinner, um, and that was really the hook. I was meeting I was meeting importers and tasting wines at HDR and like hey can can I get some of these Australian wines and you know Chester Osborne does a dinner so you know we get some back vintages of some really cool stuff and then then it's Spain and and Solomon's got you know Priorat and like no one's drinking Priorat no man oh my god Priorat remember that shit was like cheap yeah um let's uh, just a quick digression we'll get back to Priorat um, before any, this is called before anyone else. What is in this? This is a, a white Rome blend, right? It's a hundred percent claret off the market. Oh, it's claret. Two thousand eighteen vintage. Tension. Tension. So much tension. Yeah. Um, and for some, there's some new oak on this. I have to think. Yeah. This, so this is uh, this is about forty percent new wood, French mm-hmm. and Hungarian. Um. You know. It's five years old though, man. Colors, outstanding. Yeah. I mean, young. So, Claret, what got me on Claret, Louis Barul, mm-hmm. with his Le Post Blanc. Mm-hmm. He's actually, starting this year, uh, Gigandas Blanc is going to be a thing. has to be at least 70% Claret. The remainder can be the Rhone varieties, whites. Wow. Took him 11 years. Wow. Um, and then Isabel Ferrando with the St. Preferred ones. I know. And that was one of those, like, huh, I think, maybe, maybe it could work here. So... We got an acre um, and planted at the Maha. It was uh, it was something that Eric Jensen didn't take, uh, but he'll say that he stole it. Yeah, I can stole it from me, kid. I should have had that claret. Yeah. Um, and it's it's happy where it is. You know, it's in a lower lower part of the property. Um, pretty heavy soils, fair amount of moisture in the soil. Works well. You know, and and a wine that I think is. Thirteen eight and and pretty yeah. Thir- well, he said thirteen five. So look 13, at that. Five. Wow. It's like you know. It's I think it's not even three three pH, mm. but it's got texture. It really does. Really does. Uh, oh, uh, now I get the name. It's Claret before anyone else here. Yeah, got it. Sweet. Burn Eric. No, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Jensen's What's awesome. up, Eric Jensen? You know we love you. Um, okay, so yeah, so you're, you uh, you we all the pre-rot. So Eric Solomon. Yeah, and then you know got got into France. Uh, okay. So at that time, you know Jensen was rolling into town. The Justin Smith and the Matt Trevison they they would come into dinner. Like let's do Grenache. I'm like all right, let's go uh, pre-rot Gigandas from McLaren Vale mm. and. They would pick one, and I would always grab another one and sit down, like, all right, what do you guys think? Yeah. Like, the stems on this, you know, just, mm-hmm. let's chat it. 
And uh, what made you do that? Like, where did you knew you were gonna make wine, so you were kind of picking? The I had brand, no idea. Were you just like, I did, I, okay. we didn't think that wine was accessible to make. You know, it was. Yeah. It was like we well, gotta be born into it or whatever. Right. Um, and Matt Trevison was one of the very first people that we met here. Uh, we met him. We were like sat at the kids' table at a Justin dinner. He was the uh, assistant winemaker under Steve Gloucester at Justin. And then we moved to town and he, uh, we invited him over for dinner. He brings a 94 Adelaide of Pavon, which is old vine Shannon off the Bailey Ranch. Mm. All new, all new American oak. I mean, it was it was pretty stunning. It was it was like coconut. I mean, it was every mm. everything good about American oak mm-hmm. in a snappy white wine. Mm-hmm. And he had just broken up with his girlfriend. He was living in his car. We're like, you could stay here. And Matt lived on our sofa for three months. And mm. it, it was great because he would watch the kids if Joanne and I wanted to go out <laughs> to dinner. We were doing landscaping projects. We did all kinds of shit. It was so much fun. Um, and then uh, on Henry's second birthday. Um, Maureen, his wife now, came up and Joanne and she and I all met mm-hmm. when we were like six, 17, 18 in college. And she and Joe were, were good friends, so she came up and met Matt and they were like, started dating and you know, the rest is history. Okay, okay. So it was, it was, it was one of those things like, you want the wine industry talking about your restaurant. Right. So if, if you want them there, you, you have to have some local wines, but you got to have an international wine list. You know, we, we drink all the stuff around here. It's like that. That's right. But folks that come in from out of town, they want to drink local. They want to drink Maha. They want to drink Saxon, Lavenger, right. Linné, right. Booker. Uh, but, you know, we're looking for, I don't know, all of it. What are we looking for? We're looking for white burgundy, champagne, yeah. you know. Yeah. When I, when I come up being a New York guy, and when I came out to Santa Barbara in 99, I was really impressed by how much because we have wall. We got we. It's so much. It's so much easier to get so much European wines in New York City because you know. But like, I was amazed at how many uh, like the serious collectors and the winemakers like drinking the Whitebergs, drinking the Rhone shit, drinking Bordeaux. Um, you know, I think someone who does a good job is right now is Raj Parr, just like and uh, Tegan Pasolago. Like they're studying. These old world wines, mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to replicate them, but see what they can learn from them, and then how they can, what they can use in their terroir. And I, I, I think, uh, I, I think that's a very good point you make about um, having those wines because it's just easy to just like uh, you know drink what we get high on your own supply. It's easy. A house it's palette. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, and I think that that's been a challenge for Paso for a long time. Like. Well, you you know you meet someone like I make I make the best pa- I make the best cab in Paso. Like, oh, great! Mm-hmm. What what are what are some of your best benchmark cabs? Like, oh, mine. <laughs> well, haven't you had great Bordeaux or right. great Napa or you know other parts of the world that grow that grape really well? Right. Like, no, I don't need to do that. And you never had a super Tuscan. I mean, you know, what I mean, I mean, and I think that's that's so interesting when because. That is what I see when people are wanting to create art, wine is art, at the highest level, you're studying from all around the world, right? So, like, Italy, you didn't, Italy did not have to, no one in Italy had to plant Bordeaux varietals. But they're like, you know what? 
this is there's this thing. It's called terroir. These wines have this pedigree for whatever reason. What if we grew made a wine like that here? Hmm. Not, and not and not and not so much like trying to emulate, but but like what if we apply some techniques, French oak and uh, this type of farming and, and you know. But I, I mean like. I think about like an Angelo Gaia planting Chardonnay and Merlot. I mean, like people like, I mean, fuck, I mean, some of the best Merlot I ever had is from Bulgari, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. So is that where Macedo's from? Yeah. Is that Macedo? Not Macedo, but just like I've never had that one, but that's. Um, but I mean, just I mean, just things like and the Cab Franc. But I, talking to someone who now makes wine, and seeing where you came from, and I really love that you went Australia to Spain. Because I think I think Grenache they trace Grenache actually comes from Spain yeah, actually I think so yeah um, and then France where it's it's masterful it's masterful in all the places I think but there's Sardinia Sardinia yeah don't get me started I, I, there's there's Kermit Lynch has like a ninety five dollar Canon now that I gotta get but it doesn't get cheap in Jersey I forgot to get like I have to try ninety five dollars Grenache from Sardinia I have to you Chris. do I have to. Let me know. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll drink it together. What, what were you doing in Santa Barbara in 99? Selling wine, buddy. For who? Montecito Wine Bistro. No longer oh, in yeah. business. Bill John. Cross some luckies. Now it's a Mexican place. Los Arroyos. But yeah, um, I had a buddy who went to USSB, and uh, we worked together in New York, and he got tired of New York and moved back to California and got a little job. He's like, hey, um, I'm working at this wine store. Yeah, come out here. And Santa Barbara was, that's like the first time when Santa Barbara was the emerging wine region for the yeah. Wine Spectator. Um, that's back in the, you know, uh, I mean, people still, you know, but that's the Ojai days. That's the, uh, you know. Ojai, ABC. ABC. Um, um, Ken Brown. Kid, yeah. Um, yeah. All those guys. Yeah, the Foxen boys. Foxen, uh, Sanford, before he yeah. sold it. You know, Dick Sanford. Um, that, that time. Cali, still making amazing wines. Um, uh, so that's, I, you know, just, and I've never been to California. I'm 30 years old, and I come out here in the middle of a heat wave on the East Coast. It was, I had been like, it was like 91 degrees at 8 o'clock in the morning when I left. It, we were, that was like 15 days of over 100. And humid. <laughs> and humid. <laughs> and I get off the plane, flew, it, flew into LA, and then took a little hopper up to Santa Barbara. Got off the plane in Santa Barbara. It was 76 <laughs> degrees. Like, I was like, fuck. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it was the middle of July. I could sell wine and be in California. So that's how I ended up there. Um, but you're out here. So then you, you say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. So um, you guys buy the land. We we made wine for a few years first. Okay, so you were sourcing grapes. So who were you? So you obviously because you had the restaurant. You mentioned some people were coming in. Who were you sourcing grapes from? So my first call was to Justin Smith. Okay. Uh, for James Berry Fruit. Okay. And he was like, I, I don't have anything. He's like, what are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, he, well, no, he's, not, he's nice, but and you're like, what are you fucking do not say? Come like, on, yeah. you tight ass. Yeah, um, and he and he and he didn't. Um, so then I went to Neil Collins. Okay. Uh, and he was at Adelaide Tablas at the okay. time, uh, Steve Glossner, and then uh, another character who is very elusive in this area, a guy named Stillman Brown. And I said, I'm looking for 
West Side, Granasaram Morved. You're gonna tell me, okay. And uh, so Neil put me in touch with Don Rose. I got some Glen Rose Grenache Morved. Uh, Glossner put me in touch with uh, the De Bros, which is like the backside of what Justin is now. They mm -hmm. and the, the Justin owns that property for some Syrah, and then I've got a little bit of Syrah off the lock vineyard where Ecluse is on Kyler, and that came through Stillman. Stillman, Stillman is a guy that it's made a lot of great wine. Uh, he had a, a label called Red Zeppelin. Um, I don't remember that. He's he's a he is a character. He he looks like, uh, the, who was it? Uh, the white-haired, white-suit guy in JFK, played by uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Like, <laughs> like he's he's got white hair. He's always like his toenails and fingernails are always done. He's always got a big old cigar in his mouth. Um, That's hilarious. He he's quite a character. So, uh, we made. One barrel turned into like six or seven. Okay. And then, um, kind of during that time, Justin said, hey, I've got some fruit available. I'm like, great. Uh, I'm in. What, what can I have? He's like, you can have an acre of Grenache, Syrah, and Morved. Like, that's fantastic. Thank you. And we're still, we're still there. I mean, it's a 22-year relationship at James Berry. And I've learned so much from the whole Smith family, growing grapes, making wine. He was kind of consulting at dinner at the time. He's like, so there's three acres of Grenache across the street at dinner. That'll be online in two years. I'm like, I'll take that. And he's like, there's an acre of Morved. And I'm like, okay. He's like, you should take that. I'm like, I'll take that. And then, um, you know, for a few years, I was the guy. Like, everybody's like, well, why do you have Grenache? This is a jackass buying all the Grenache. But then it was like, do you know where I can get the Grenache? Mm. Is there any Grenache? Mm. And I think Grenache does really well here. Mm -hmm. um, the tannins can be a little challenging, but um, it, it's just so strong. You know, you drive out onto the west side and you see Grenache vines on a hot day and they, they just, they stand strong. I mean, it's where they're from. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you're working with Justin. Um, and did you make the wines initially or, or did Matt make them for you? I always made the wines. Oh, you always made the wines. Okay. Yeah, from day one. Okay. And I had great, I had great, I had great guidance from Matt. I had great mm. guidance from Justin. Mm. Uh, all kinds of people. Mm. Anybody that was walking in the restaurant, mm. you know, even folks from from out of town. You know, Scott McLeod would come in when he was working for uh, Francis at Coppola and had Rubicon, and he and his team would come in. They were pulling a bunch of fruit out of here, and like, well, I'm getting ready to buy equipment. What do you think? And and you know, just conversations of, of that. Mm -hmm. And really just had the opportunity to learn by doing. Um, never been a big science person. It's really always been based on, on flavor. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to look back at some numbers. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, first and foremost, we're always playing sensory, and then we can look at numbers. Uh, the first wine, first year of Avenger was 01. Uh, finished pH was four. You know, I sent it to the lab, and the guy sent me back the panel and said, like, "You should really acidify this. It's microbially unstable." And I'm like, "Well, it tastes good." And I'm like, "Hey, Justin, what do you think?" He's like, "Dude, it's fucking fine. Mm -hmm. Bottle it." Mm -hmm. You know, and I've got a few bottles of that still, and it's it's over the hill, but you know, it's there's a lot of four pH wine in the world. 
And when those initial years, were you making wine just for your restaurant, or were you actually selling some off too? Well, the plan was just to do it for the restaurant, okay. and then it started to grow. Okay. And uh, so one through four, you know, we were yeah, I can get you, I can get you six bottles. You know, it, it grew pretty small, and then '05 was a big vintage, and we went from fifteen hundred cases to three thousand cases. Okay. And it went then it was like with no distribution in place. It went from I can get you six bottles to Take my wine, please. Okay. And you know, we still make about three thousand cases of wine, but now instead of being twenty dollar wine, they're sixty to one hundred and ten dollar wine. Yeah. Well, um, so <clears throat> let's talk about that. So the restaurant um, did the wine program enhance it, or like at some point, what made you make the decision to close the restaurant? Let's put it that way. You know, to be we've been wanting to exit the restaurant for a while we we had the sense when we started making wine Joanne and I we we found a chef a guy named Tom Fundero mm -hmm. a very talented um, talented guy really really an artist um, a, a wonderful person to work with most of the time but his sense of food was amazing and he grew up here and uh, was out in New York and worked uh, at the vinegar factory for Eli Zabar and really kind of cut his teeth okay. on all kinds of high quality food. And uh, you know, he's Sicilian and just like made great food. So we had that for a while. Tom was with us for 13 years. And then we, we started to step away from the restaurant. Okay. And, and that was, you know, that wasn't our passion as much as it as wine was and and it was it was a hard um, we were trying to figure out an exit strategy never really quite figured it out and, and to be perfectly honest you know we got to the point where it's like well we can close one business or we can close two so what do you want to do um, and that was hard uh, and it took some time to get everything sorted out but it really gave us the opportunity to spend all of our bandwidth on growing grapes and making wine okay so, before you did that, though, um, you had been buying grapes. Two thousand three, you buy what was it? Was uh, sixty acres? Right? Yes. Okay. Was there anything on the property when you bought it? So this was uh, this is a this is a great story. Um, Justin and I would ride Peachy Canyon on our mountain bikes to ride Kyler and he'd always look up on that hillside and go, it was all walnuts and say, that would be a badass planting. And Tom Vaughn, who's a land surveyor, is no longer with us, was, um, used to come into the restaurant a bunch and he, would, he owned the property across the road. And I was always saying, Tom, you ever peeling a piece of dirt or doing any work, I'd love to know about it. Mm -hmm. He comes in one day and says, I'll have a Firestone. I put it down, he's like, I'm peeling 60 acres for my neighbor and I think you guys would be good neighbors. So we had the opportunity to buy 60 acres, never hit the market. Okay. We went to, you know, we went and negotiated a deal over iced tea, met the McCornacks, Tom, uh, we said, Tom said you wanted X for it, we could do X, maybe a little more. They're like, no, X is fine. Have your attorney call ours and we'll draft up the documents, we'll give you a power easement. So mm. now we've got 60 acres on the west side. Okay. Um, 
the folks who used to live there, their name was Maha. There was a water tank that just okay. said Maha. We always liked that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> easy to say, easy to spell. Any significance to that that you know of? It's, uh, it's Sanskrit for great ah! or a higher place. So okay. like the Maharaj is the high king uh-huh. or high queen. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then in Arabic, it's moon. So that's that's pretty cool for... I see your S Q N and I raise you a Maha. <laughs> nice. You know, and I'm like, what the hell is SQ? It's an economy. And I'm like, second to that. Oh, fuck, that's nailed <laughs> right it. Um, and, you know, names are impossible. Yeah. You know, like Saxon means large stone. Yeah. Well, Justin's grandmother's maiden name was stone. Uh, Justin's dad is pebble. All of his siblings right. are brick, clay, and right. sandy. Right. Right. I mean, there's a there's a stone Dude, thing. I, yeah, like when you get when you get that cosmic alignment, you know that it's shit's gonna go. It's gonna go down. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I just learned from a Swedish importer that it means stomach in oh. Swedish. Okay. Well, I guess the Swedes can stomach your wine. Uh, let's hope so. Um, more than stomach in. Um, so okay, so so it's just land though. Like you, like you it's just it's like, walnut walnut groves. Walnut. Yeah. Uh, one of the first times uh, Stefan and Bea Aseo, they pulled up to where we're gonna put the put the triple wide and crack a bottle of champagne. And Stefan's like, this is this is so good. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so we we dropped a triple wide and and. Kind of just start slowly started the process. That's the deal, right? You like you get a trailer, you, you know, get a, a yeah. trailer wide, drop it on there, and you start living on your property. Exactly. So uh, the Jensens were in the, you know, doing the same thing at the same time. So we bought this. We bought the same triple wide. <laughs> he chiseled the deal, which was great. Two for so one. <laughs> we'll, we'll have we'll have folks come over that have been to what is now the Booker Guest House. They're like. Huh. You guys ever been to the Booker Guest House? I'm like, yeah. yeah. Feels, bathrooms in the same place. Like, feels similar, like the same house. Yeah. Uh, he's done a. There's a few different walls that were changed. But, uh, uh, 05 was at Denner. So okay. the first two years, I was at what was called Garrettson Wine Company, which is now where Top is. Oh, overall. shout out Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. It's for Stanley and Elena. Stanley, uh, you got to come on the podcast. I love you, Stanley. But but people oh, he'll, wanna, bring, he'll bring some people want to hear your story. Banger, I know. Burgundy. Oh, he's a Burgundy. Stanley, come on, man. Anyway, some nice. Simone bees. Wow. Um, well, listen, I work at a pretty. I'm working with this pretty serious Burgundy store in New York. So, Stan, it's your chance to burg out. Um. So was there uh, one and two, mm-hmm. then three and four? Uh, was at at the garage at Saxum. Okay. Justin built a small winery and. You know, three and four were pretty interesting. Um, Terry Hogue was there. Brian Denner was there mm. making the Denner wines. Uh, Badger was in and out. Um, you know, his fruit was just getting ready to come on. I think first first fruit, first fruit off of Booker was 05. Okay. Um, and then 05 came, and it was a big vintage. Like, Justin could see it. He knew it was what's going on. He's like, if you get all your shit out of here, I won't charge you for anything. So I moved over to Denner okay. and crushed 05 there. And it was myself, uh, Brian Denner, Jacob Toft. There were just three of us had that whole facility. 
you know, there were skateboards at each end of the building, so you could just skate across, leave a board, <laughs> skate back. And then, uh, you know, I, I cut Ron Denner a, a pretty good check for that year. Okay. And put pencil to paper and went, wow, you know, for a little more money, we can build our own winery. Yep. And by the, uh, by harvest of 06, we were in our, our own winery. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. So we've been there ever since. Okay. And your original restaurant, your restaurant concept was farm to table, you know, um, um, you're starting to do winery. Um, what was the intention always to be biodynamic or organic or just like what was the vision for how the grapes would be grown? The, uh, you know, both Joanne and I grew up in households that cooked, that ate clean food. Uh, our parents definitely weren't hippies. But we didn't get to eat junk food. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you, yeah, you got to eat granola. Yeah. My mom's like, you can have any cereal you want as long as it doesn't have BHA or BHT. Yeah. So it's like fucking grape nuts yeah. and, and shredded wheat. Yeah. Kicks. So fucking nothing. No fucking, no Captain Crunch, no Tony the Tiger. I didn't, I had, that was the treat. We did, I, like, we, I could get Frosted Flakes, but I didn't have Captain Crunch, so I went to college. Like, oh my God, this, this is so yeah, delicious. Just rips your mouth up. It does. And then you're like, fuck, um, and, and really we took, we took James Berry and what they were doing, you know, they were so on the front end of sustainable agriculture, you know, when it really meant something, you know, right. I think sustainability now in a broad spectrum is, 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 a, there's a lot of greenwashing there. It's there, yes, definitely. Um, and, and that's kind of, I think that's bullshit. So, yeah. Me and Sam Couture had a conversation about that. Like, there's like you can get certified sustainable in Sonoma and still use herbicides and, you, and use Roundup. Yeah, that's fucked. What the fuck is that? That's not sustainable. That's not. It's not. It's not. And you know, talk about baller, Phil, yeah. Father Phil. Yep. He's like, I'll farm your grapes. We're only farm organically, and you have to certify. Yeah. What? Yeah. And yeah. and he's that. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like a. He's amazing. He's, he's such a great, a, an amazing people, yeah. family, but he's one of those those people that really knows how to grow stuff. Yeah, no, Justin Smith is like yeah, that. No, yeah. uh, Dave Bailey's like that. Yeah. They, they grow, anything they grow, they grow well. Yeah. Justin's garden is phenomenal. Phil's weed. It's Phil's phenomenal. weed. <laughs> yeah. Joanne's like, the other day she's like, hey, have you heard about these gummies made with Demeter certified Grenache. Yeah. That Phil grew. Yeah, she's like, I want to get some of that. Yeah. Like, oh shit, we'll just go up there and get some. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, so that so that was the intent. And, and that was it. Yeah. You know, we were we were really promoting organics at the restaurant and uh, you know, Joe Joe's always been that that driving factor. Okay. You know, this is what we're gonna do. And I and I think a lot of that you you talk to Nils Zutzen. Uh, Nils and Bimmer have Castoro. They quietly farm 1,400 acres certified organic here. Really? Nice. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Wow, that is awesome. Because Castoro was like known, I mean, as a, it was an inexpensive kind of, you know. And it still kind of is. It still kind of is. And they, they really, you know, they make millions of gallons of wine, but they bottle, I don't know, maybe 20,000 cases of Castoro. Yeah, I know. But she, she drove it. I mean, yeah. it's Mother Earth for a reason. Yeah, you know, if yeah. it was Father Earth, this place would be fucking torched. Well, exactly. I mean, Mama's keeping us in check. We're only because Mama can slap Papa around sometimes, but you're right. It's so true. So true. 
Um, that that's 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 amazing. So I love the commitment. Um, so from day one, we've been farming organically and biodynamically, certification in both, mm-hmm. and then uh, following, watching and following what Tablas was doing with ROC, we decided to do that. So we got that certification in December. So we're, I think we were ten or eleven. There's now twelve global wineries. That's insane, though. That's yeah. twelve global, man. It's like, that's, and there are more coming, and I, I well, think yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, it is, but I mean, you know, but there was twelve original disciples. Is what I'm saying, man. Like, <laughs> and I'm I'm born again pagan. I don't know that. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Listen, I'm not religious. My mother was. I just, you know, but I love a good biblical reference. And it's, you know, it's it's coming. There are more people yeah. like. You know, with Booker certifying, you know, now you've got Eric Jensen, who's an amazing advocate for that. Yeah. And does a great job of it. Well, now you, and, and with, with the acquisition, now you have a major corporation that now has serious skin in the game and has to. Yeah, and, and they're doing it. And you look and see what, what they're doing at Robert Hall. Yeah. Um, now, this would, this would be a fun thing for you to do. They've got, they've got a conventional block and an all-regenerative Block. Taste some side and they're taking it all the way to wine. Anthony Yunt at Nunsuch, Royal Nunsuch in Denner, he was out there and tasted the wines. He's like, they're not even the same wine. Mm. And they've increased yield, lowered farming costs, and made better wine. Because wow. the last thing it is, dude, I want you to farm organically and I want you to certify and you're going to lose money. Yeah, no one's... You just not a lot of fuck off business people in America are down for losing money no yeah so you know there are more and more people doing it and and you know I've I've been maybe a little too vocal from time to time about it be, but I, I think if you're gonna talk it if you're gonna talk it you gotta walk it so and unfortunately we need this certification we need a third party certification yeah just yeah. to keep everybody yeah. above board. Yeah. And and it's not a lot of money and it's really not a lot of work. Yeah. Um and it's, you know, there we've we've had some good calls from folks late like, "Hey, how's that processed?" you know. So well, uh, Joanne sits on the board at CCOF now, mm-hmm. and she's working on. Oh, hold on that. By the way, I hope you know what um CCOF stands for now, Alyssa Jacobson. <laughs> Alyssa Jacobson, yeah, California, California certified organic, organic farmers. farmers. Yes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I so um, you know, it's not it's not that hard, right? And it, and it takes some time, but it all it all comes from the top, right? It, right. It, it's it's a culture, and if if you if you really want to do it, like I remember years ago, Bill Armstrong. Who owns Epic had um, he had a for, uh, a vi- uh, vineyard management company, and Bill's like, "Hey, oh, we want to get into biodynamics. What do you know?" And ownership was like, "That's fucking stupid. Why do you want to do that?" As opposed to, you know, I'm not really up on this, but we got a couple young kids that are into it. Right. Give us a couple months. Right. And we're in. Right. Well, it took Bill about. 30 days to go I'm finding a new management company and so love you Jordan shout out to Jordan yeah. great wines though. great wines um, great sites great wines well this great is people. I mean this is like I'm really loving the conversation um, because when we met at, up at uh, Hawks Hill or Ranch at Kitt's Place 
and you're like, you want to talk farming, and I'm loving what you're sharing, and I, the, the commitment and passion to it, because it is important. I mean, I, I think people, I talk a lot of shit. It's what I do for a living, actually, as a podcaster or as a whatever form of journalism this is. Um, but I am about, does the wine taste good? Is it, is it showing up in the glass? And it's showing up in the glass. I like I like, and what I love is, I tell people when people necessarily lead with biodynamic, that's a problem. When you lead with biodynamic, that's a problem. But like when you just lead with my wine, and then you turn over like, oh, it's biodynamic. I kind of like that a little bit more. Like right because that because because it's not a flex. It's it's like you're actually committed because you're doing it because you feel like you're gonna make better wine. Yeah. Not not like there's a market for biodynamics. Well, we, I, I think it makes better wine. I wholeheartedly believe that, for sure. It makes a more transparent wine to the site. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other shit, you know, from a humanitarian point of view that makes even, maybe even more sense. Mm -hmm. You know, no one's playing with poison. Uh, you know, you, you get, we get some class action law firm going on a glyphosate play for farm labor. It'll stop right now. Uh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. No, no, you're right. But there, glyphosate's the uh, like of ten products you can use. That's the least effective, harmful. Oh, that's scary. Like, there's some shit out there that will give you Parkinson's in like weeks. Yeah, that's allowed. Yeah, Randy Heinsohn, who uh, owns. Vineyard Professional Services, he's like, yeah, I farmed a, 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 a vineyard up in Monterey. We would spray. Re-entry time was 21 days. Like, that's nuking it. Lay it down. Bring yeah. the rain. Yeah. Reminds me of that scene in, in Transformers where, you know, the guy's like, bring the rain. The thing just, I mean, just fucking annihilates everything. There's not a bug. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, you know, I was, I was up in Sonoma back in April. And um, was by a very famous vineyard, um, and I was with Enterprise. Some people from Enterprise Farm were like, "Like, you see that vineyard this time of year? I mean, it was it was it was as clean as this table. Yeah. And this is this is like it's a, a, a yeah. revered right. vineyard, right? And I was like." Wines are expensive. Wines are expensive. Right. I was like, I did not know this. That's not like, and it really, like, dude. I'm trying to. I'm like. I'm like, you know. I won't use Roundup. My wife won't use Roundup, and I have all these fucking pavers, and I'm like, God, my fucking house yard smells like vinegar. Like trying to kill. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but like but like you know it, it but. In the context of wine, it was like, I'm like, I can't keep weeds from throwing growing through my pavers, and this is a vineyard, it's an agriculture product, and it's clean. There's not a, there's not, not pristine. You know, so and, just, and it may, maybe it's not like the same. Maybe it's just a pre-emergent that's killed everything in the yeah, soil. Yeah, maybe. And you know, and, you know what a weed is? It's a misplaced plant. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. I'm like, let's just let it grow. I mean, it's just, it's just doing its thing. It's life. It's life living. Right. Um, but but like, and you think like, wow. Yeah. So I, it's 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 pretty insane. 
Do you know, uh, you ever met Dan Petrosky? Dan. Of course, Dan Petrosky's been on the podcast. We love Dan Petrosky. Oh, he's, we should call Dan right now, but anyway, we love Dan He's Petrosky. a great guy. Yeah. I, I met him up in Napa a couple weeks ago. I'm like, Dan, Chris Cherry, Via Creek. He's like, dude, it's so great to meet you. Yeah. He's like, you were my only account south of the Bay Bridge. We used to pour his uh, Massacan Ania by the glass. Yeah. Great wines. But uh, it was he and I and Jordan McCain, who's uh, McKay. Yep, Jordan McKay. Mm-hmm. Great writer. Mm-hmm. He's up in the Hudson Valley now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he looks at Jordan he's like, so when you ask, do you use glyphosate? It's an easy out to say no. The next question is, what do you use? Mm. And I was like, ooh. Yeah, Dan's a sharp guy. He went he's to Columbia. A, yeah, he's smart. That, 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 that's like some lawyer trap shit. And, <laughs> and he's, uh, you know, he's working with uh, Napa grape growers yeah. to, to establish some parameters within their certified well, you know, that, Napa green I, that, I, do, that I, doesn't use... I said that Sonoma's got an issue, and Sam called them, and they got an issue. Like, if you use an herbicide, then you can't say it's sustainable. And you're giving in like in like you know and then yeah so yeah I love Dan and what I'm also getting I was sitting here people understand you start having these conversations and then like it's like anything else um, there's levels and there's networks and it's really it's really interesting to see um, who knows who and who what people fly I think people come together Seth Godin calls it tribes like what are the tribes like who are who come together based upon I just listen to him that guy's fascinating yeah he, I, don't, I don't know anything except for a Tim Ferriss podcast yeah no I, I can get Seth on the podcast now because he, he, he will come on to your podcast you've done over 100 episodes so I want to get him on I've been following him for years and he's an amazing marketer but he's more a human being it's not about marketing he believes in storytelling great communicator great communicator is a word yeah but yeah so you, yeah exactly so you heard like, I was fascinated yeah Go ahead. So, so tribes. So there is this tribe, and there's this wonderful tribe of people who come together on a cause or a belief. And and he talks about, like, there's an expression called doing the work, but the tribes actually are doing the work. They actually have, they're producing a tangible result, right? So here we have people who are producing a tangible, making a difference in the world of wine. Um, not just because they make better wine, but because it's better for us. The we got world. kids now. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes they'll probably have kids. Like, I'm 57 now. 10 years ago, maybe 15. Like, I didn't think about, like, that. Right. Uh, and and uh, it's great because, you know, our kids, Camille and Henry and, and Mari and Kenton and, you know, the, the Collins kids, the Smiths kids, you know, you start talking to those kids... Like fuck, there may be a chance here. Yeah, we may not ruin this bit place. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's really exciting. Um, another thing that, like, as a pitch, you know, you've seen these estates in Burgundy, Bordeaux, Champagne, that have made the decision to change their farming methods. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, someone at LVMH is like, okay, we've got this domain. Uh, it generates, I don't know, it throws off a couple hundred million a year. If we don't nurture that asset, it's just going to become worthless. You know, that guy's like the richest man in the world now. So. <laughs> right, but, 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 but no, at but, least, you, no, you, you know, like to be able to tell someone like, no. 
You want to maintain your assets. If we don't have a world, your money's no good. Right. Right. You know, rotor is going all organic. I mean, talk about a place that's hard to farm organically. I mean, yeah. We met a guy named David Le Clapar just outside of Epernay. He's been farming certified organic and BD since 98. And this guy is amazing. His wines are great. Super <clears throat> linear texture, a little, little uh, quirky, but super fun. Like, there's some, I mean, that's, that's a hard place to do that. Yeah. But he's committed. And now it's a system. His system's in place. Yeah, so that's a great, I'm glad you said So talk about what it takes to put a system in place to make biodynamic organic farming sustainable. I mean, it takes time, but what, like, what's a, once you have the system in place, talk about that. I, th I think it takes, I think it takes uh, patience, time, and observation. Mm -hmm. and, and be willing to, to give it a, a couple of years. Um, and I think that's where uh, a female is a little better suited to the, the concept. Why? Because we just want to break shit and yeah. just get shit done Let's cheaper. Now. Yeah. I think, you know what? Wow. This one's getting deep. Also, I haven't slept much in the past 24 hours. Do we have any mezcal? That'll be an upper. Yeah. Just some mezcal bumps. And, uh, and then been drinking. But I do think that um, a woman, because they carry children, they know it takes time. It's like nine months. It takes time. Yeah. Like, inherently, it's in them. Like, it, they know it takes time. Right. And I, and I think, and you, I think following your gut. Mm -hmm. Let's just give it a go. If it, if it doesn't work, we can we can change it. Right. Um, but you have to stay in it. Yeah. And, and God, this is a great thing, Chris, for coming in and having this conversation because the Seth Godin thing, like he has a book called The Dip, and there's a point when in everything you're doing, you have to understand: Are you in a dip? And a dip just, you know, think of a roller coaster. It goes down, it comes back up. How do you have peaks without valleys? Exactly. Um, and a lot of people quit when they're in the dip. And they just, and, they, it's, and it's going to be a slow grind back up. But most people quit when they go down that first downhill on that dip. And I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I would have to, I'm going to hypothesize that, you know, when you're, when you're shifting over your farm and we're doing this, like, there's a point where you're like, I don't know, people are like, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. And then because going back to the mother nature, then then one day and one day everything just changes. Yeah, and we've been pretty fortunate in the sense that that's the only way we've ever done it. Yeah. Um, so we're we're lucky that way. Um, but you know, you look at, at what they're doing at Robert Hall and they're like, it's right here. Yeah. All you gotta do is look at it. And they're they're a handful of, you know, there are like the kiss the ground movement and and that documentary you've got a guy that's farming corn and soybeans regeneratively in the midwest and he's like here's here's our fence line here's my place here's my neighbor dust bowl nothing mm -hmm. lifeless mm -hmm. fertile mm -hmm. full of life mm -hmm. and we're we're so flattered and comp complimented by folks that come by like you know we come around the corner on peachy and we see your place and go fuck that place looks great you know and it 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 looks feral i i like mm -hmm. i like things looking mm -hmm. kind of feral mm -hmm. we want a bunch of vegetation mm -hmm. um but it still needs to be managed right, right. like hedgerows the whole hedgerow thing and 
Like it's not an English garden. <laughs> you know, they, they speak of uh, Didier Baral, who's in Fougere and like the Roussillon area, and like chefs from around the area go to his vineyard and pick salad out of his vine mm -hmm. rows. That's amazing. That's baller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just listened to a podcast, uh, Morgan Peterson and Chris Cottrell. Mm -hmm. Cottrell. I had uh, Jason Jardine from Hansel, Hansel. Yeah, yeah. and that was like holy shit yeah. that was that was a good one yeah. like I, I love like you know I I'm inspired by those conversations and have you been on the winemakers pod yet with the Katori's I was gonna do one two you weeks ago and I and I uh, it's on, on the board one. you need to do that. and I want to do it in person yeah you got to go up there and do it I want to do it in person and and pull, they'll pull Phil in Okay. And I think that'd be, I would love to hear that conversation. You know, Phil's been out to the Maha and, and had some great insight. And he was like, you know, terroir is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go to a site and go, I don't know, but it sure feels good. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to another site and go, I don't know, if I can plant grapes or if I can Oba or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think that this that conversation will be great. I tell people, the best wine podcast is the Winemakers Podcast. This is a life podcast, and we're talking about wine. We're drinking great wine, but uh, cheers. But, I mean, you guys really want to geek out. I, I just don't have the bandwidth for that. I just like to drink and meet cool people, and that's you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. Um, so, uh, Maha is now how many years old? Maha is vines are were planted in twelve and thirteen, so ten and eleven years. Mm -hmm. uh, with the twenty vintage, the wines kind of the vines kind of went to a next level. They weren't quite so punchy. Mm -hmm. um, the early Maha wines were in barrel a long time, you know, almost almost three years, just waiting for those tannins to soften, and um, you know now they're they're not this angsty teenage kid that'll actually look at you and say hello as opposed to anyone who's a teenager know exactly you just grumble exactly. off you know they don't like you exactly <laughs> um, you brought me to this world you pay for everything but you screw suck. you you suck yeah. you're an asshole you're a loser um, the older we get the smarter our parents become right I know shit shit um how do you do this though? I would say this like we I said in your intro, you make wines that um, that that are like bodybuilders who can do ballroom dance, um, even with the even with your reds. How are you getting such balance? Because I'm I'm not I'm I don't I'm not. It needs to be low alcohol. I'm not. So if people are like hey, it has to be low alcohol, you know, there's all these movements and. But like, how are you to do that in a place that's so hot? How are you getting this balance without, like, you know, I, you have, I, we have it in the shop. We have, we have Villa Creek wine, and, and it's like fourteen four, and it's like a GSM out of Paso Robles. Right. Well, you know, I, th I think as as the sites become um, a little more in balance, um, you know, and, and this is such a unique growing area. The reason that we make these big, ripe, opulent wines is we live in a solar, we live in the land of the sun. Yeah. I mean, it's much like the south of France. Yeah. So I've made lots of wines that were 
over 16%. Right. And, you know, every now and then one will, one will come in. Um, but a number of years ago, you know, we'll pick the, we'll pick the fruit when it tastes right. Right. When That's the what cannons Phil are says developed. To, he's tasting and, for fruit. You know, yeah. if we have to water it back a little bit, I'll water it back. Okay. Ideally, yeah. if we don't, all the better. Because yeah. we, we want to do absolutely as little as possible. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think in the long run, it's a better wine. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, I think Stillman said this, you know. Oh, no, this is, this is like a Jeff, uh, this is a Jeff Cohen, you know, working with Rosenblum and Zinfandel. It's like, <laughs> Jeff you know, Cohen, who called me today, call me back. <laughs> anyway, I love Jeff. MJ, hey, how MJ. are you? <laughs> <laughs> you, know. you know what? The, the new Venice is out. I'm just waiting for, for the call from Jeff. Great score. So nice. Oh, my God. See no, you he's, he's, he's like, he's, like, hey, he's such a kind soul. He is an, could be the nicest guy in the fucking wine business, man. But, you know, he's like, I'm just putting back a little water that the good Lord taketh away. <laughs> exactly. I mean, can you imagine some of that rose and blue Zin that came in at 33, 34? We, we missed a Zin pick this year. We thought it came in at about 29. It soaked up to 32. We watered it back to 25. Wow. No Sanye. Gave it two days in a pump over. It soaked back up to 32. We watered it back to 25. I think at the end of the day, it was a 38% water add. Jesus. So then we're like, it, it's like tea. Yeah. Like, well, how the fuck are we, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> then we're like, oh, okay, oh, let's... That's a bummer. That is... It's, yeah, it's not right. No, it's not right. Um, let's take the pressings from that Syrah and just dump it in that tank. Right. You know, color it up. It turned out to be, at the end of the day, we put enough lipstick on that pig to get it to work. There you go. Um... Yeah. Um, we had a we had a French you. Victor Bigo as a worked at Harvest with us a couple of years, and he was put in touch with a friend. He's he's from Normandy. He's a sommelier in France. He's you know he works in kind of lowbrow areas, uh, Courchevel, Central Pay, Monaco. He's, yeah, you know, we're all the riffraff are. Man. We're all the riffraff are, yeah. and you know he worked with us the first vintage, and we were talking about you know there were some waterbacks. This was sixteen, so it was. It was four, three or four years into a drought, so there were some waterbacks happening. And he's like, so I called my friend in Chatsonuf, and he's like, so what, are you watering back? He's like, no, it's a forbidden. He's like, I know. <laughs> I just want to let you know that I know now. And he's like, well, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, the French are classic. Yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is, for sure. And I don't think a region hides its booze better than Chateauneuf. I mean, you can be drinking, like, wow, that is phenomenal. We were doing this with, it was like a t- 10 or 12 pure from Juju. And I'm like, Dude, that's fucking great. He's like, it's 17.3. Yeah. I'm like, no way. Yep. He's like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, um. Wines that wines wines have, show their alcohol, have an alcohol problem, right? Right. You know, Jeez, this is kind of hot. Right. What's the alcohol? It's twelve five. I know. I've had a hot or, wine. Yeah. Or, geez, this is amazing. What's the alcohol on this? It's sixteen eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think I just think there's, I think that there could be more understanding. I mean, there's, I we all it's generalize. A number. It's a number, right? But it is something the next morning. Right, right. And like you said, though, I mean, I was on this Zoom with Philippe and Phil during the pandemic. When they released Audit Tet, and 
and Phil, Phil Philippe Cambi was saying, he's like, you need to understand, like, in a matter of hours, your alcohol will go from 14.5 to 17% yeah. when it comes to Renache, right? And it's, and like I said, it's not the alcohol that's the problem, it's the balance is the problem, yeah. right? So, um, amazing, amazing. But yeah, but I mean, you do an incredible job. Listen, I've always said, I'm, I want the flavor. I'm not, I don't, I, you know, I, I, numbers make sense to me. I'm good at math. Let's not force it. But don't force it. Right, right. Like, Jeremy, when we speak, we're like, like, like if you're out and Paso Robles making a wine that's under 12% alcohol, you're doing something wrong, man. It's just not. Right. Right, it's just not what, it's not what this region does. It's hot. No. Right? So, like, you're, you're picking, are you fucking picking on the summer solstice? Well, <laughs> can you imagine, like, and Jeremy knows as good as anybody. You imagine picking twenty Grenache on the west side at twenty two, twenty three bricks. It would, it would, it would be so bad. It would rip the enamel. It would so off be abrasive. Teeth. The oh, acid yeah. we talked about, like, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, would be, would be. It's we. Anybody that's worth their salt's picking on acid. Yeah. And yeah. you know whether that's going to be at twenty one bricks, or twenty seven bricks, or twenty eight bricks, whatever it may be. It, it is what it is. Right. Um, and I think all the best folks that make wine in this world, they're not going, oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm only going to do three quarters of a vintage. I know. We, we all have you, the consumer's best interest in mind. Right, right. We're going to make the best thing right. possible right. in this vintage. Right. This is our interpretation of right. this place in time. Right. And that's what it should be. I love that, man. Oh man. Okay, so a couple things before we wrap up, because like uh, this has been great, because we've just gone for almost about we've gone from like probably ninety minutes straight, which is awesome. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I'm good like that. You are good like that. Um, FMK, fuck Mary kill three grapes, Chris. You get to fuck one. You're marrying one, and one you, just, you kill it. You can't have it anymore. Do the OJ. <laughs> That's so bad, but I was in California and I've been drinking. Okay, so your grapes are Grenache, Syrah, Movedra. Which one are you fucking? Which one are you marrying? Which one are you killing off? Ooh. And, I, and, it, and it has to, it's supposed to be hard. That's why I picked those three because you grow Rome, Rome grapes, man. You know. uh, I'd probably go, what are we, FMK? Yeah, probably fuck, fuck go. Mary Kill. Syrah, Grenache, Morvet. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, mm -hmm. you know, because Syrah can be pretty slutty. Yeah. Um, but and I just love Grenache. Yeah. I like. But then you have a, but you know when you have a great Morvet, then you're like, fuck Morvedra. Oh, it's it's amazing. But you know what? Yeah. But anyway, this is your Here, FMK, here's, not mine. Here's my like. I ask. And like all winemakers, like and you may start using this. You can make a red wine and a white wine anywhere in the world. What is it? I might start using that. Okay. You know, for me, it would probably be Barolo and uh, it'd probably be maybe Saint Aubin for Chardonnay. I'm not quite sure. You know what? I'm you. you I went to law school, but I'm gonna let you deflect and not because that you gave me a great question. So I might. Fuck with that question. I like that. So here's a guy from San Diego, lived in, grew up in Vail, mm -hmm. back to California, farm table restaurant, winemaker, biodynamic farming. Yeah. Rome varietals. We're drinking a claret. 
Right. You brought a Jigandas. You grow Grenache Rye Mauved. And what else you grow? What else you grow at Omaha? Carignan. Carignan. Um, Petit Syrah. Okay. And a little Roussan. Okay. And we're going to plant, we got, we're prepping 10 more acres. Um, probably some lower alcohol, lower acid ripeners to go with Grenache. Okay. Uh, some probably some Syrah, some more more Ved, maybe some some Cinso, maybe I, some Tariga. I don't know. This is uh, this is I've been telling. Okay, so I had Mark Adams for plant some Cinso. I love a one hundred percent Cinso when it's done right. Isabel Ferrando actually does when you yeah that Favier yeah fucking I think it's five hundred season all re a wholesale cost on yeah, that. She's thing. gotten crazy. I know. Um, but so you, I'm gonna give you a pass. I like red or white. So here's a guy who makes Rhone wines. And he wants to make Nebbiolo and a Saint Aubin. Okay, cool. What excites you most about the future of Maha, Villa Creek, Paso Robles, your wife, your life, your children? What excites you? What are you excited about for the future? I think uh, what excites me is uh, some upcoming plantings. Uh, may, seeing if uh, our kids jump into this this game, they they dabble in it. I think it would be you know. The multi-generational business is not necessarily a thing here, mm -hmm. and if they choose to do so, that's awesome. There are others in our mix that are starting to do that. Colin Smith and Saxon and James Berry, yeah. he's, he's playing around, lives, yep. lives, lives in the biz a bit, uh, the Collins clan. Yep. Um, you know, I, I, like, I like working hard, I like playing hard. I think Paso's got a lot of great things going on. I think... Uh, the press is always, uh, people are always so amazed that you guys are all so great with one another. Like there's a lot of camaraderie. Yeah. And, and I think I think there's a lot to be said for the rising tides. And hey, can you give me a hand? As opposed to other parts of the world where like, oh, I'm not eating here, so-and-so's at the bar. Yeah, like, yeah. what are you, an eighth grader? I mean, come on. Um, you know, we've had some some pretty large uh, investment come into the region in the last couple of years. You know, some people get bent out of shape. Some people are excited about it. I think it's just inevitable. It is. Um, it happens. It happens everywhere. It's, it, totally, it happens everywhere in every genre, every field. Yeah. Your favorite band. You love seeing them. There's a hundred people in there, and then okay, now it's a thousand, and then fucking they're playing arenas like, this fucking sucks. Well, it's good for them because, like, they deserve it. They're great. Do you think the Stones wanted to play shitty little bars exactly, forever? Exactly, exactly. Dude, we could, see, this is why we go The Beatles were fucking touring, playing every night at some shitty bar in Hamburg, Germany. Yeah. And fucking next weekend, the Peppers are going to be playing in Napa. Like, yeah. how many shitty little dive bars in, in L.A. did they play with socks on their cocks? Exactly. Facts, right? Yeah, facts. Yeah, you know, you know and and uh, you know, the unfortunate occurrence of like seeing someone go away with a needle in their arm. Yeah, like that that'll wake you up. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I get it, right? So people want to get better, but I think, I mean, Eric said it's basically like, he's like, MG, you know, Paso so fucking do, you know, we do what we want to do, right? So if people can stay true to that spirit I think it's going to be just fine yeah we, and you know I've been playing in Napa the last you know for a year or so mm -hmm. we have a lot of friends up there that they're like oh, we love Paso yeah you know it's like what it used to be yeah 
and you know Napa's a great place got wonderful people as is Sonoma County they're just different parts of the world yeah uh, this is a spot where you know the barrier to entry is is lower obviously um, that's changing pretty quickly I was with Scott uh, Holly at Torin mm-hmm. you know he lives down the road he's a neighbor I'm like there's no way we could we, we couldn't do what we're doing now. Mark Adams was here. He's like his, his mother was a fucking school teacher. Yeah, they bought the land in the seventies. Couldn't couldn't happen now. No, no 40, way. Forty acres of pastoralables for like under hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, no, it's crazy. But he would. But like you, you got in a little bit later. But he respects the land. He's all about the estate. Yeah, and creating something. He's got a special spot up there. He does. At Adams Ranch. Like, oh, is, is that the James Berry Ranch? <laughs> yeah, and he's got that little sandy spot. Yeah, and he's, and he's, and he's cool. got different. So it's very cool. So I think the food scene is is definitely back in Pop play in. here. Yeah. It's it's yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, we did a dinner last night at In Bloom with Halio Tide and mm-hmm. had a nice had a, an amazing dinner. What Kenny Seliger and his team's putting putting out from the kitchen is great. What what Julian's doing um, at LPC and his team. You know, then you've got, you've got Laurent that's, I mean, he opened in 96, mm-hmm. and he still puts out great food. You've got uh, Carolyn Santos with Il Cortile. You've got uh, Troy and Donovan who were, you know, they've got Gaucho, McGregor's, Kane, 1122. You've got Eric and Maggie. I mean, the restaurants, I think, you asked what closed the restaurant? I got out-competed. Mm. I mean, to yeah. be honest, yeah. I mean, all all those people I just mentioned are in their restaurants all the time. Yeah, and we were doing. Something and you want to be the vineyard? That's right. Just a change in life. Love it, love it, Chris. Thank you so much for coming in. Well, yeah, coming in. I'm not in the studio. Thanks for meeting thanks, me and no, Pastor Robles. Thanks for coming in. Thank, yeah, thanks for coming, Jeremy, Mel. Thanks for giving me a studio up here to record this shit. Love you guys. Who, who's that? I don't know, man. It's probably Jeremy drunk. I, it, Oh, so it's a it's a it's a it's a long-haired man in a red, white, and blue That's windbreaker. A, is it a, a, a flat American flag windbreaker? Yeah. Could be Kid Rock. Could be. No, it's not Kid Rock. Not Hick in this hop. house. No, no <laughs> hip hop here. No. <laughs> Chris, tell everybody how they can be uh, how they can find how they can be a part of what you're doing at Maha and Villa Creek. You can find us on all those socials. Uh, Via Creek Sellers, uh, viacreek.com on the World Wide Web. Um, would love for you to, to come to Paso, see what we do. But if, if in the meantime you can't make it to Paso, check us out. Get on our mailing list. Buy some wine. Check it out. I think uh, you know we, we're starting to get some distribution around the country. So any great independent wine shop. I mean, Trebecca. Yeah, I mean, I mean you're, they're legit as fuck if they're in a store I, I fuck with. So. I mean, we get the we no, we get like the biggest, you know, and it's, allocation it's, of like Burgundy Lalu. But I mean, it's it, like it's hard to get into New York City, especially yes, it is. It as, is as a Paso producer. Paso producer. It is because of, of reputation. You know, I mean, like Justin, but the, so many mailing list wines don't make it right. So, so everybody, listen, everybody, this was a great conversation. Um, great, great. We've been trying to do this for a while. I, know, I think I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. You you're you're engaging. I mean it's it's it makes it easy. Yeah. Well thank it's you so awkward. much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Keep it. Keep up the good work. I will. For all my listeners, make sure you check out the show notes. That's where I'll I'll put links to the website, Villa Creek, the wines we drank, 
including the one that we're not sure about, but it's still a great producer. Um, For sure. And uh, until next time, cheers to all the Mavericks, the Philosophers, and the Deep Thinkers. And all you wine drinkers, your boy MJ. Peace. Peace out. Later. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.